How many of you have made New Year's resolutions? I'm looking out here. Quite a few. I'm kind of impressed. How's that going? Good? Not so good? Well, I hate to be cynical, but the truth is most of you are going to fail. You're not going to keep your New Year's resolutions. In fact, studies show that by the end of January, 45% of the people who made New Year's resolutions have given up. And by Valentine's Day, that number will increase to 75%. In fact, if you don't mind, let me give you a little bit more information about this, some more statistics. Only 40% of Americans actually make New Year's resolutions because 60% of Americans know that, that they won't keep them, so they don't even bother. So as I told you, the 40% of Americans who make New Year's resolutions, by the end of January, 45% will give up. 75% will give up by Valentine's Day, and 92% will give up within three months. Only 8% of the people who actually make New Year's resolutions will keep them for more than three months. 8% of the 40%. Now, those numbers don't look too good, do they? Now, why do you think that is? Well, I believe that the main reason is because people make too much or try to make too many changes at one time. Instead of making one New Year's resolution, they try to make five or six. I'm going to go on a diet and I'm going to lose 40 pounds. I'm going to start exercising. I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to pray every day. And I'm going to get organized. People, that is five. Five. And most people do really good the first week. But then they have to go out of town. And they can't work out. And they have to eat at restaurants. So the exercise goes out the window along with the diet. And then they get really busy at work. So they don't read their Bible every day. And they don't pray every day. So that goes out the window. And before long, the only thing they have left is I'm going to get organized. And they realize that's failed. So they just give up. Now, does that sound familiar? Yes, it does. Now, I'm not trying to discourage you because I believe in making New Year's resolutions. But I believe in making New Year's resolutions that you can keep. And how do you do that? Well, the secret is focusing on the one thing that you really need to change. Forget about making five or six New Year's resolutions and focus on the one thing you really need to change. Now, you might be thinking, one thing? How can keeping one thing make any difference? Well, if that one thing is a major change, it will make a huge difference. And over a 10-year period, you'll make 10 major changes in your life. And people, that really adds up. Let me use myself as an example. When I first began in the ministry 25 years ago, I have to admit that my prayer life was kind of hit and miss. And it wasn't because I didn't want to pray every day, but I thought because I'm going to the ministry full-time, I would wait until I got to church. They're, praying, they're paying me to pray and to study the Word, so I would pray when I got to church. The problem is, I would pull up at the church, and there were people sitting in their cars waiting on me. And then my day would get busy, and then I'd have things in the evening, and I would lay down to go to sleep, and I would be so tired, and I would realize I didn't even pray today. Wow. So years ago... My one New Year's resolution was to pray for 30 minutes every day. And because of that New Year's resolution, I now have a habit of praying for at least minimum of 30 minutes every day. That's one New Year's resolution that has made a huge impact, not only in my personal life, but in the ministry. Now let me give you another. About five years ago, God impressed upon me that I needed to read the Bible from cover to cover every year. 
Now, I was reading the Bible every day. I'd always read the Bible every day since uh, the time that God had called me into the ministry, and so I would read every day, but there was no rhyme or reason to what I was reading. As a result of that, I would read certain books over and over again, and there were other books in the Bible that I would never read. But because of that New Year's resolution, I now read the Bible from cover to cover every year. Now, let me say that again. Every year. And people, that's just two examples of how one New Year's resolution a year can dramatically change your life. Now, imagine how making one resolution a year can affect your life over a 10-year period, over a 20-year period, or even over a 30-year period. Now, I know that some of you are probably thinking, but I wouldn't know where to start. How do you pick just one thing to focus on? And people, that's a good question. Because if you're going to make just one resolution a year, it better be the most important one. Especially if you want it to make a major impact on your life over a long period of time. And to make matters worse, you can't just imitate what someone else is doing. Because the one thing that someone else needs to change might not be the thing that you need to change. The truth is, it's different for everyone. So how do you pick just one thing to focus on. Well, this morning I'm going to help you out, and that's what this message is all about. I want you to make a New Year's resolution, but I don't want you to make five or six of them. I want you to make only one, and I'm going to help you this morning determine what one thing you need to focus on, what one resolution you need to make, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you four questions that a person needs to ask themselves to help them determine what one thing they need to focus on this year. So make sure that you write these four questions down because what I want you to do is I want you to go home and I want you to meditate on these questions and think about them before you answer them because the answers to these questions will help you determine the one thing that you need to focus on in 2010. Now, to be honest with you, I don't know where these four questions originally came from. Because I've seen these four questions years ago, and I've seen them all over the place. But I got these from Craig Rochelle, the pastor of Life Church. He's a, he's a fantastic pastor. I like to listen to him on my iPod when I'm exercising. Believe it or not, your pastor does exercise. He just likes to eat. And trust me, exercise without diet doesn't cause you to lose weight. But anyways... I listened to Craig Rochelle, and I happened to be listening, and I thought, you know, I've heard those four questions before, but I like the way that he phrases them. And so I'm going to use the questions in the way that he phrased them. Question number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, shame on you. In your prayer time, as you're seeking God, what's the one thing that you desire from him more than anything else? In other words, if God could answer just one prayer this year, what would it be? Now, if you don't pray, this is going to be a very hard question to answer, and let me explain why I say this. This isn't the same thing as asking, if you found a genie in a bottle and you were granted one wish, what would it be? Well, I would wish for a million other wishes. Now, that's not what we're talking about. This question is based on the premise that you have a relationship with God and that you pray, and that you're praying for things that are scriptural. Does that make sense? So what's the most important thing from an eternal perspective that God could do for you in 2010? 
Now, let me use David as an example to illustrate what I'm talking about. Turn to the book of Psalms, chapter 27, verse number 4. Notice what David writes. The one thing I ask of the Lord. Do you notice that? One thing I ask of the Lord. The thing that I seek the most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. What David wanted more than anything else was to spend more time with God. You see, his position and his responsibilities consumed so much of his time that he did not get to spend as much time with God as he wanted to. So his one desire was to spend more time with God. So what's your one desire? From an eternal perspective, what do you want from God? Now, it might be like David. To spend more time with God in prayer. Or to spend more time reading the Bible. Or to spend more time in church. Well, I would like that one. You know, we have a Wednesday night service at 7 o'clock for some of you that don't know that. If that's your one desire, we got it for you, baby. It might have to do with relationships. The one thing that you want from God is to heal your marriage. Or maybe the one thing that you want from God is is for him to help you to have a better relationship with your kids. Or maybe you have a loved one that's not saved. And the one thing that you want from God is to answer your prayer that that person be saved. Maybe the one thing that you want God to do for you, that you want that prayer answered, has to do with sin. You want to be set free from porn. Or maybe you want to be set free from some other type of addiction. Alcohol. Drugs. Gambling at the Cherokee Casino, and not that gambling is wrong, unless it's an addiction and you're spending money that you don't have. So that's question number one. In your prayer time, as you're seeking God, what's the one thing you desire more than anything else? Question number two. When it comes to your spiritual life, when it comes to your relationship with God, what one thing do you lack? Now, let me use the rich young ruler as an example to illustrate what I'm talking about. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and he asked, What must I do to obtain eternal life? I've done everything that I know of. I haven't murdered. I haven't committed adultery. I don't steal. I don't lie. I don't cheat people. I honor my parents. What am I lacking? And this is what Jesus said to him. One thing you lack. Turn to Mark chapter 10 verse 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. You see, Jesus looked into his heart. And he saw a problem that this guy didn't even know that he had. So Jesus said something to him that he didn't say to anyone else. And this is one of the problems when pastors don't truly study the word of God and understand the sitzim laban, the setting, what was taking place at the time. They take what Jesus said to the rich young ruler, and they try to apply it to everyone. You just need to go sell everything you have, give to the poor, and come follow Jesus. Well, then who's going to support the church? You see, Jesus said this specifically to the rich young ruler. So, what's kind of interesting about this is Jesus looked into his heart, and he saw a problem that this man had that he didn't even know he had. And so look at verse number 21 again. It says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Now, before I go on, I'm going to stop right there. Notice that it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. In other words, Jesus was getting ready to say something very difficult to him, but people, it was all in love. 
Jesus never did anything facetiously. He wasn't trying to get a rise out of him. He wasn't using this guy as an example, but throwing him away in the process of doing it. No. Jesus looked at him, and he loved him. And this is what he said to the rich young ruler. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and then come follow me. People, there's one thing that's standing in your way that's keeping you from completely following Jesus. For the rich young ruler, it was his material possessions. It was his desire to have wealth. It was his security that he thought he got from his physical wealth. That was what was keeping him from becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. So Jesus specifically showed him the one thing that he lacked in his relationship with God. The one thing that was keeping him from following Jesus with true, total devotion. Trust me, if you ask God what's lacking in your relationship with him, he'll tell you. Just like he told the rich young ruler when he asked Jesus. Now, you might not like what you hear, but if you're willing to listen, God will tell you what one thing you lack. So question number two is this. When it comes to your spiritual life, what's the one thing you lack that keeps you from having an intimate relationship with God? Is it your prayer life? You don't have a prayer life. Is it a knowledge of God's word? Because you don't read God's word. Is it walking in the spirit? Maybe you do have a prayer life and maybe you do read the word of God. But when you go to work, you know, it's like, okay, this is now secular life. That was spiritual life. Now I've come to work and it's secular life. So you don't walk in the spirit. And, the, and God is telling you the one thing you lack is listening to the Holy Spirit. Is it money? Maybe you don't trust God. Maybe you're like the rich young ruler. And as a result of that, you can't give it up and so you can't tithe. I've said this many times before, and I truly believe it. 90% blessed by God goes further than 100% that's not blessed by God. If you'll learn that, you'll be blessed. Question number three. What's the one thing you need to let go of? In other words, what one thing are you holding on to that's keeping you from being where God wants you to be or from doing what God wants you to do? Turn to the book of Hebrews, the 12th chapter, verse number 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Every one of us has a different race to run. You know, if you go out for track... It's not the same race. You've got the, it used to be the 100-yard dash, but now it's the 100-meter dash. You've got the 220, you've got the 440, you've got the 880, you've got the one mile and the two mile, you've got the relays. Not everyone runs the same race. But God has a race for you to run. But most of you are running with weights upon them. And so most of us are carrying around things that are slowing us down, and we don't even realize it. Some of those things are sinful, and some of those things are not sinful. But they're weighing us down, and they're eating up our time, and they're keeping us from doing what, what's really important, what really matters. Now, sometimes it's not anything physical. Sometimes it's something that's emotional. For some of you, it might be guilt. You're not doing what God wants you to do. You're not where God wants you to be. 
Because years ago you had an abortion. And you're suffering from guilt over that abortion. And I know we're no different than everyone else. 40% of the women sitting in our church have had an abortion. And some of you can't get over the guilt. I also know that over 50% of our people here have probably had an affair. That's just the way it is today in society. And maybe you had an affair and you just cannot get over the guilt of it. I want you to listen to me. If you've confessed your sin to God and you've repented of it, you're forgiven. Now what Hebrews chapter 12 verse number 1 is telling you to do is to let go of the guilt from that sin so you can get on with what God has called you to do. Satan is using your guilt. He's putting condemnation on you that God is not And as a result of that, you're never going to do what God has called you to do. You're never going to finish the race that God wants you to run. And even if you are, these things are slowing you down. Maybe it's guilt. Maybe it's a civic organization that you need to let go of. Because you're involved in too many things. Like the Rotary Club, the Kiwanis Club, the Lions Club, the Chamber of Commerce, the Restore Downtown. I don't know what all. But you're involved in so many things that you always get home after dinner's been served. You come in late, you have too much to do, it's on your plate. And as a result of that, you're doing all of these things. But that's not the race that God has called you to do. And God's telling you, you need to let go of this Because the things that really matter, the things that are eternal, you're not going to do because you're being slowed down by these civic organizations. And I'm just going to be honest with you. There is nothing more important than God's work. I don't care what you're doing. There's nothing more important than God's work. Now, God's work could be that you're in those civic organizations, and I want you to be in those civic organizations. Just don't allow that to slow you down. Use it for God. It could also be maybe a hobby. Okay, I'm going to step on a few toes here. How many of you like to golf? And you golf four and five times a week. And you have a job. So that means after you get off work, you have to go out there and you golf. And when you get home, dinner's already been served. The kids are already now doing their homework or they're watching TV and you're not spending time with your kids. Let me tell you, that's keeping you from doing what God has called you to do as a father. You need to let go of your hobby so you can do what God has called you to do. I'm not saying you can't golf. I'm just saying you can't do it to the point that you're doing it because it is slowing you down in the race that God has called you to run. That's good preaching, Pastor Allen. Question number four. What's the one promise of God that you need to claim? I want you to turn to the book of Psalms, chapter 56, verses 9 through 10. David wrote these words. This I know. God is on my side. I praise God for what he has promised. Yes, I praise the Lord for what he has promised. Now, let me give you some background information so you'll understand what was happening at the time that David wrote this. David was running from Saul. Saul was trying to kill him. Saul was jealous. He realized that God had anointed David to be king. He did not want that to happen because he wanted to go through his son. He wanted to keep it in the family. And as a result of that, he was trying to kill David. 
Not only that, David could not go to his home. He could not go to any towns that he knew. He couldn't go to any cities that was within all of Israel. And the reason why is because if he went there and someone helped him, then Saul would come along and retaliate against them for aiding him. So basically he was banned and alienated not only from his home, his friends and his family, but even from his own people. So he had to go out among the Philistines and he had to stay out in the wilderness. And yet in the moment of that, when you would think that he was ready to give up and would be upset with God, this is what he wrote. This I know, God is on my side. I praise God for what he has promised. God had promised David that one day he would be king. As long as he sought God with all of his heart, and David did not want to usurp Saul, he did not want anything bad to happen to Jonathan, he wanted only the best for them, and, but he also realized that if he did what God wanted him to do, and God's own timing, and the way that God wanted to do it, that one day he would be king. So he said, this I know, God is on my side. I praise God for what he has promised. Yes, I praise the Lord for what he has promised. It might not look like that's ever going to happen, but I want you to understand it's going to happen. Now, people, I don't know what you're going through at this particular time in your life. I don't know what difficulties that you're facing. I don't know what needs that you might have, but this I do know. God is on your side. And he's made some specific promises that apply to whatever you're going through at this time. So you need to ask yourself, what promise do I need to claim? What promise specifically applies to what I'm going through because God is on my side. And every promise in the Bible is meant for you. So whatever you're going through, you need to study the Word of God and find that promise that specifically applies to that situation and claim that promise. Now I understand that many of you did not grow up in church you just started coming to church recently. You've gotten saved here at Cornerstone Fellowship. And you're growing and you're a new Christian. So you don't know the promises of God. Well, I can't go through all of them because if I did, I would be here till probably midnight tonight. But I'm going to list a few of them just to give you an idea of what God promises. God promises to meet your needs according to his riches and glory. He promises that you won't be tempted above what you are able to resist. And he'll also provide a way out of that temptation. He promises to make all things work together for the good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He promises to never leave us nor forsake us. He promises to give strength to us when we're weak. He promises to give wisdom to us if we need it. He promises to give us a peace that passeth all understanding. He promises to give us prosperity. Now that doesn't mean that he promises to make us all millionaires. The word prosperity comes from the Greek compound word euhodos. It's a compound word which means it's made up of more than one word. It's made up of two words. The prefix you which means good. And the root word hodos, which means path or, or way. But it literally means, if you put it into some type of context, trip. So when you combine those two words together, it literally means good trip. God has promised to give you a good trip while you're here on this earth. Doesn't mean that you have to be a millionaire in order to have a good trip. It just simply means that God has promised to give you a good life.
He's promised that nothing will separate us from his love. He's promised forgiveness to us if we will confess our sins and repent. He promises that he will make us more than a conqueror. And the best promise he's ever made is he's promised to give us eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. What specific promise do you need for 2010? So let me repeat these four questions again in case you didn't have time to write them down. Real quickly, question one. In your prayer time, as you're seeking God, what's the one thing you desire from God more than anything else? Think about it, meditate on it, write down the answer. Question number two. When it comes to your spiritual life, when it comes to your relationship with God, what one thing are you lacking? What one thing do you lack? Meditate on it, think about it, write the answer down. Question number three. What's the one thing you need to let go of? In other words, what's the one thing that you're holding on to that's keeping you from being where God wants you to be or doing what God wants you to do? And question number four. What's the one promise from God that you need to claim? Now listen to me because this is very important. If you weren't taking notes in the beginning and then you thought, well, you know, I'll start taking notes now and you're still busy writing, stop. You can listen to the CD or the DVD or get on the website and listen to it on the website. You can turn in to Channel 22 and hear it. Listen to me right now because we're going to apply this. We're going to put this all together. If one of the four questions really jumped out at you, then the answer to that one question is the one New Year's resolution that you need to make and keep in 2010. It's the one thing that you need to focus on this year. Let me give you an example. As I was going through those questions and I got to the second one, and the second question was, in your spiritual life, when it comes to your relationship with God, what is the one thing you lack? And it was like, ooh, immediately the answer came, prayer. I know I need to pray. Let me tell you, if that's the question that jumped out out at you from the four, then that's the one thing that you need to focus on. That's the one thing that can make a huge impact in your life for the rest of your life and on into eternity. Now, that's just an example. It could be anything else. I just want you to understand that I'm giving an example to illustrate. Now, if there wasn't one question out of the four that jumped out at you, and usually there's not, I want to say that. Because sometimes people will go, well, nothing ever really jumps out at me. Well, usually it doesn't. Then here's what you need to do. You need to carefully answer each question. You need to think about those questions and meditate on it and even pray about them. And then answer each question. And then what you do is you look for a common thread that is running through all of your answers. And trust me, there will be a common thread. And I started with question number one because that's where it really does need to start. From question number one, you'll notice there's a common thread that runs through all of your answers. That common thread is the one New Year's resolution that you need to make this year. This is the one thing you need to focus on. Now, this is going to take a little bit of time, but I promise if you'll answer these four questions in prayer and meditation, you will find out the one thing that you need to change this year. Now, 
I'm going to give you an example to illustrate what I'm talking about. All right? Because I found out if I don't give uh, illustrations, people don't get it. If you take this home and you're praying on and meditating and you look at the very first question in your prayer time as you're seeking God, what one thing do you desire from God more than anything else? And you're being honest. You know, God, if you would answer just one thing for me, it would be that this loved one would be saved. I just wish that so-and-so would be saved. Then you write that down, loved one saved. Then you get to question number two. When it comes to your spiritual life, when it comes to your relationship with God, what one thing do you lack? And you look at that and you go, well, you know, I pray, but I don't pray like I ought to. If I really prayed, I think it would really make a difference in, in my relationship with God. And you write down prayer. And then you go to question number three. What's the one thing you need to let go of? And the Holy Spirit quickens you and you go, you know what? I spend a lot of time watching TV. I waste a lot of time doing that. And I always tell people I don't have time to do this or I don't have time to do that. But you know what? I need to quit watching as much TV. That's the one thing I need to let go of. And then you get to the fourth one. What's the one promise you need to claim? And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit prompts you that he's not willing that any should perish, but they all come into repentance. And then he also brings to remembrance in 1 John chapter 4, there's, there's this uh, promise that God has made. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that if he hears us, we have the petitions that we desire of him. And you say, you know, that's the promise that I need to claim, that God's not willing that he should perish. I can pray that this person not perish and that God would convict him. Now, I know it's not God's will to force him to be saved, but I know it's God's will to convict him. So I'm going to pray that God will convict him. And then you look at this common thread that's running through all the answers, and there it is. My resolution this year is that every day I'm going to take time before I ever watch TV. When I get home, I don't care if it's my favorite TV program. I better buy a DVR. Because before I watch that, I'm going to go in to my prayer closet. I'm going to close that door, and I'm going to pray that God convicts this person and he brings people along his path, that, it, that wherever he goes, something is ministering to him. I pray that he can't turn on the radio, that a preacher's not doing an advertisement talking about the gospel. I pray that wherever he goes, someone shows up and starts talking about Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would just convict him and you pray every day for that person. That's the one New Year's resolution that you need to make. Now, here's the interesting thing. As much good as it's going to do for that person, it will change your life. God will create within you a heart to see people born again. He'll create within you a heart to intercede for others. He will develop your prayer life like you've never had before. But it will come from focusing on one thing. So let me ask you this morning, are you willing to go the extra mile to find out what God's one New Year's resolution for you is supposed to be? If you're willing to go the extra mile, then I challenge you to answer these four questions because I can guarantee you that if you seek God's face in prayer and meditate on these four questions and answer them, then God will show you the one thing that you need to focus on.